Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to your podcast or mine, where the creative minds behind the mic are interviewed. Now, let's get things started. Here's your host, Sherry. Hi there, and welcome to your podcast or mine. I'm Sherry, and on this episode, I'm speaking with Don Davis, the creative mind behind the podcast Desert Lady Diaries. So thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. So your podcast began in August of 2017. Why don't you give a brief description of Desert Lady Diaries? Desert Lady Diaries is a 30-minute conversation with women who live in the Mojave Desert. And it started off as a weekly, and uh, just this year, in the summer, I did a listener survey and decided that I'm going to be going every other week instead. Um, Weekly podcast is good, but it's also pretty wearing, especially if you're the only one who is doing everything. And it seemed to me also through the survey that a lot of the listeners felt that they would it would give them more of an opportunity to catch up on episodes, maybe if they were behind because it was weekly. Oh, well, I completely get that. So <laughs> in, in both <laughs> respects, because I, I I think I do, I don't know, somewhere in, in between like three and like 15 interviews a week. So um, it, it wow. really depends on, <laughs> it really depends on the, on the workload and, and things of that nature. So I completely understand that. A couple of uh, your most recent episodes was episode 118. So congratulations for uh, overcoming the 100 episode uh, peak, I guess. So pretty amazing. A lot of people don't get there. So congratulations. So you're welcome. The last episode was ask the host question, kind of like a Reddit ask me anything uh podcast. So that was interesting to listen to. And it gave me a lot of insight on you too. So that's a good starter for someone just getting to know the podcast too, is to to jump right in with that. But I also listened to a few others with interviews. So let me ask you this. When did you move to the Mojave Desert? I moved to the Mojave Desert in July of 2016. Yeah, so you're fairly newish there. So, uh, you know, doing some research and, and listening to uh, your podcast, I learned that you lived in New Jersey and North Carolina and several other places. What attracted you to that area? Well, I had come up for the very first time with some friends three months earlier in April of 2016, and there are two grades that you need to drive up in order to get to the high desert, which is where Joshua Tree, Yucca Valley, 29 Palms is. And immediately upon reaching the second grade, which is known as the Yucca grade for Yucca Valley, 
I literally felt like there was a string being pulled from the top of my head and I was coming up like a periscope just looking at this place um, and the landscape and just feeling it was definitely a, something physical, some kind of spiritual shift of some sort. And all weekend I was just uh, just paying real close attention to the people where we would go in restaurants and eat, and we spent some time in Joshua Tree National Park, which was lovely. And but there was I couldn't shake this physical feeling that I was having. So I went home immediately after the weekend and started doing some research, and discovered it's also a place that's full of creatives, full of artists of all kinds, musicians, uh, different media, and uh, writers. And that it's also a very uh, activist type of community, and they really love where they live and don't appreciate people coming in here and doing anything like putting up a solar farm or, you know, that sort of thing. And will go to the county or the state or wherever they need to go and do what they need to do to share their opinion about how they feel and why it's important that that stuff doesn't happen here. Um, so within doing all that research, I probably made two or three trips back I called them my little recon missions to make sure that I wasn't just romanticizing this whole thing. And the other thing that really stuck with me was that ever since I moved out on my own when I was like 18 or 19 years old, every place I've ever lived, my interior home decor, whether it was a house or an apartment, I was decorating as if I were in the desert. I was attracted to cactuses. I was attracted to Native American prints and things like that. So I think something in me knew that I was coming to the desert long before I did. <laughs> <laughs> so this question is, is twofold, and then we'll get into the podcast because I, mm-hmm. I'm interested in it. I, I actually drove through uh, the desert on my way from Las Vegas to Los Angeles, so we really didn't stop. Oh. I think the only place we stopped was an In-N-Out Burger someplace. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, people but, in California are enamored with that In-N-Out burger, and I don't get it. Yeah, I know. People I look, mean, at, look I, at me I, crossways like, what? I'm like, no, I don't get it. <laughs> so I was visiting a friend, and, and we had dri- driven out from uh, Las Vegas to Los Angeles and the Anaheim area. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we drove through it, and obviously we didn't stop. So I know mm-hmm. what the terrain is like, but what is living in the desert like? And and how is it different uh, and unique to other types of regions like the Everglades in Florida or uh, Mount, ski mountain resorts in the Poconos, for example? Right. Different. It's dry. We'll say that. It's a place where you probably don't get rain more than, I don't know, I think 10 days a year, and I'm being generous. So if you like the heat and the sunshine, it's a great place for that. It's quiet. And sound travels very far, especially at night in the cold air. So when people come out from L.A. and they're doing their, you know, desert party, oh, we can do anything we want out in the desert, they're usually not aware that all their sound is traveling probably, I don't know, 20 miles. Um, But the the silence can also be unnerving for some people. I've had someone on one of my episodes tell me that they've had a lot of musicians come and stay with them. And the musicians have that, is it called tinnitus? Because they've heard a lot of loud noises. And that silence just, you know, amps that up for them. But I think there are other reasons, too, that people find the silence difficult. It's because 
you're not hearing anything then but your own voices in your own head. And sometimes people don't want to hear those things. You know, they distract themselves in their apartment or wherever they live. You know, television's constantly on, the radio's constantly on. Uh, but when you listen, just when you're hearing nothing, it's you come. You it's kind of confronting, and you can't run right. away from it. So there's right, a lot right. of people that come here and and have those experience of you know distracting themselves for a little while, and then all of a sudden the desert kind of picks you up and slams you down and says no you're doing it our way or you're leaving. <laughs> so in that way, it's very different. I mean, the obvious things are the weather. Um, the first three, within the first three months that I was living here, I have a small gap underneath my screen door. And you may have heard this on the episode 118. I was sitting on the couch just reading and all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye, a snake just slithered in underneath from underneath the couch and went under the TV. And I was like, oh my God, what just happened? So um, dealing with critters that are here that are just part of the way of life that's here, that's another thing. You don't really see that much in the suburbs. I mean, I guess there are some places where they have snakes and stuff, but it's not something you see because it's noisy and they're hiding. They don't want to be found. Um, But out here, when it gets quiet and cool, they're like, ooh, let me come out and see what's happening, and you might run across them. (laughs) Yeah, well, I, I, I lived in the Poconos growing up, and, and now I live in Florida, so I've encountered many a snake in, in my path. So <laughs> not, mm-hmm. not so much not so much when I lived in New Jersey, but... Um, <laughs> in, right, yeah, not, I didn't see not, many there either. <laughs> not not the reptilian type anyway. See, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so you started out basically in, in voiceover, and I... From what I understand, uh, you started out in a weird way. Basically, you were working at a car rental in Newark at the airport, and that led to the voiceover work. Am I right? Yeah. Basically, I started hearing, like, I would. part of my responsibility there was to answer the phone whenever it rang. So I would answer the phone and answer questions about, you know, people traveling to Newark or local people who wanted to rent, et cetera. And a lot of times, people would say, wow, you have a great voice. Are you on the radio? And after hearing it enough times, I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe there's something to this and I should look into it. So I think as I described in episode 118, I took the path train over from uh, Newark to the city and I went to a Connecticut School of Broadcasting seminar. They wanted a lot more money than I had at the time to take the class, but when I came home, I somehow found a woman in North Jersey to work with doing that, and then I got a small um, shift on a very local radio station in Hazlitt, New Jersey, where I was living at the time, and started you know, playing my own records. At that time, they had a turntable, they had a cassette player, CDs were just coming out, so now I'm giving away my age a little bit, but um, it was really fun and interesting, but at the time, I was also working full-time at a bank, and... Uh, ended up transferring to Charlotte. That's how I ended up in North Carolina with the bank job. But it was also there that I really started getting more into voiceover. I found my acting community there and started taking like some teleprompter classes and then found a instructor that was working with people on voiceover. And then it just kind of took off from there. What led you to podcasting? Well, when I moved to the desert, 
I was also in the process of trying to figure out how I could get more voiceover clients. And I was thinking, well, maybe if I could do a podcast, but then what would I do a podcast about? And I don't know, some convergence of some ideas happened, and I thought, oh, I'll interview women here in the desert because I truly was meeting as a you know new person. I would go out to many different events and just to meet people in my community, and I really noticed that there were a lot of interesting women here doing some really interesting stuff or with interesting backgrounds. And I think at some point I just thought, oh, maybe that's what the podcast could be about is that you know, I could interview these women. And it's really turned into more of a historical archive of interviewing women in this place, in a space in time, you know, and what they're doing and what brought them here, et cetera. I have the, in the all of the interviews are in the archives of the 29 Palms Historical Society now. We actually signed an agreement that until the podcast ends, I will just keep putting them in there. So that's not something that I expected to come out of, you know, oh, I need to figure out how to market my voice or voiceover <laughs> and then to become kind of an archivist at, in, the same, in the same time. Oh, that's very neat, though. I can't yeah. imagine that it, you, you were flattered to to get asked to do that to you know submit your your creative you know work to to something like that. So and the women that you interview there, uh, like Estes, will also be included in that too. So that's right, exactly. It's yeah, and then each file that is on in the archives has the full interview. It has their written bio that I asked them to submit before the interview, a photograph, and then also a transcript of that podcast. So if somebody was doing some research in there, they wouldn't necessarily have to sit and listen. They could also pull the transcript and read through it. So how is the selection process for your guests to interview, and what is that process like? Do you, Are you always on the look look out for unique people in your area, unique women, or is it just something that if someone located it and said, oh, I think I'd be interested in being on this podcast, I live in the Mojave Desert and have something to contribute, or is it a combination of both? You know, do friends say, oh, you really need to interview this person because, you know, she's, you know, really cool or has a unique story? Right, and that's all three of those things is exactly how it happens. When I started off, I went right for, you know, my friends, and I said, hey, I'm thinking of doing this thing. Would you want to be, oh, yeah, I'll do it. So probably the first, I don't know, half dozen or dozen of the interviews are, are women that are in my, you know, social friend circle, shall we say. And then it just started happening where I was, when the podcast then was out and people were listening to it, they would either send me an email or I'd see them out and they'd say, hey, I've been listening and you should talk to so-and-so. They've been here for a really long time and would have a lot to contribute. So I started just keeping an Excel spreadsheet. And right now that spreadsheet is up to, I think, number 286. And I've got 118 episodes in the can. So I've got a little bit of ways to go, but it never fails. Somebody comes and they, you know, we finish and they're like, you should talk to, you know, they either give me one name, three names, or later on down the line, they send me an email, you know, with six names. And I just add them (laughs) onto the list with their contact information. And um, then at certain points of the year, I don't really have a quote unquote editorial calendar, if you will. Um, At certain points of the year, I'll go into the spreadsheet and I'll like, okay, I've got to, you know, pump out 
X number of interviews. Who do I want to bring in? And I just select off the list. And there's no real rhyme or reason to it, no criteria that I use or anything. So that's pretty much how I, I bring them in to interview. So how do you record and edit your shows? What type of equipment do you use or what type of software programs do you utilize for that? And especially if you have guests, do they come into where you record or do you do uh, phone interviews? I've only done two phone interviews, and those were ladies that have lived here for you know any amount of time. One of them actually was born and raised here and then wrote a book about it. She was coming back to town from Arizona to do a book reading and talk about the book. And then uh, the other person lives here for a short amount of time and now lives in Flagstaff, Arizona. So those are the only two that I've done by phone. Everything else is done literally at my kitchen table in my house because my voiceover studio is great, but it's not conducive for two people to sit in there and talk. It's a walk-in closet, essentially, that I've, you know, padded the walls and done what I need to do in there for sound purposes for that, but it's not a place I can put two chairs and have people have a conversation in. Uh, But what I do find is having it at the kitchen table, the sound quality is not as, you know, great as some people might like it to be. I use some um, applications to run it through so it sounds better, but what I find is People are nervous, and coming to the front door, it's like, should I have to learn something different? Is this going to be on camera? You know, lots of questions. I'm really nervous, but I find then sitting down at the kitchen table and just talking, you know, like we're having coffee, just relaxes people. And nine times out of ten before they leave, they're like, oh, I felt so much better just sitting there talking with you than I thought it would be. And so I think that's helpful. So I only use one mic. I don't have two mics right now. I use an Audio Technica. I use a different mic in the booth for my voiceover work, but I don't bring that in and out of the booth because it's a real high-end microphone. So I use those Audio Technica. I forget what the number is. Maybe 20. Oh, here it is. 2100. ATR 2100. So it has the USB or the XLR. And then I've used a program for years that just, I think, used to come with the Mac computer called Sound Studio, and I use that to record into, and then I edit it. I send it through a program called Levelator. It's an app, and that's kind of pumps up the volume and makes it sound really good, and I don't do a lot of editing. I take out mouth noises. I take out um, likes, false start sentences, things like that. And anything quirky that I'm doing as an interviewer, which I'm sure you've discovered yourself, (laughs) listening back to do any editing. (laughs) And then that's that's pretty much the process. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. I, I have right. my sayings. I'll start a sentence a certain way, and it drives me crazy, but I'll I'll keep right. doing it. So. <laughs> right. Well, and I, that's what I say. You know, a lot of people agonize over it in some of these Facebook groups for podcasters. People are like, I keep doing this thing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of gave up trying to train myself because I could edit it out. Now, of course, if I was out somewhere doing a live interview, that's probably not the best way to go about it. But knowing that I can take that stuff out, I just let it go. And just, I just, it's more important to me to be authentic and in the moment and really there with the person that I'm interviewing 
because I think the when it sounds authentic, that's what draws people in. They I hear people often when I'm out. Sometimes somebody will say, "I feel like I'm just kind of a fly on the wall listening to your conversation," and that's a great compliment. I think. That's the best way, I think, to get a compliment because they feel like they're in the same room as you. Yeah. They might be talking back and you won't be able to listen, but at least they feel like <laughs> you're, in the same, <laughs> you're in the same room with them, which I admire, too. It, it feels like yeah. a real conversation, like you're having coffee with a friend, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so when you started podcasting, what did you find was the most challenging part about it? Oh, gosh. I think it's just the time required is really, you know, I had to get into a mode of um, making a specific time when I would sit down and edit and do all of those things that you heard me lay out. And I'm sure you have a similar, you know, checklist, if you will, of things that need to be done to get this to the finished product to go into people's ears. People are very surprised when I say it takes four to six hours to do a 30-minute episode. They're like, what? Like, well, you know, you go down the laundry list of stuff, and then you see the light bulb go off. But there's a lot involved, and I think that was the most challenging part, really. I didn't really have any – there are some times that I reach out to somebody to do an interview, and – they just don't want to. And I had one woman who was really excited about it. And then all of a sudden I got an email that, you know, I've been listening to the podcast and I just don't feel like I have anything to contribute. Those women all sound so important. And that's something that I haven't been able to really dig into yet, but I want to. I know that there's a couple of women in my community that are like therapists and things like that. And I think they would have some interesting insights into what that's about and why um, pe- women feel that way. I know. That, that I can't understand because everyone has something to contribute and everyone has a story. It, they right. could think that it's as you know, minute as option A, but in all reality, it, there's a much bigger picture behind it. So, Right. I well, get and there's that always too. going to be, I, yeah, and I think there's always going to be at least one person listening who can even identify, like, wow, I've been there in that. Do you know what I mean? So I'm intrigued by the folks that are that the response comes back like that. And I don't, I don't push people. You know, I may ask again, are you sure? I would really love to have you on. Blah blah blah. But if they continually are, you know, saying no then I'm not going to push people to do something that they don't want to do because what happens is I've had a couple interviews where people have come and I can see how nervous they are, but they're also carefully weighing every response. Like they're not really comfortable and the answers are very short. Those are the days I feel like we earn our money because we have to keep asking questions or dig deeper and keep the conversation going. And it doesn't, I mean, people listening may not, notice it but we notice it does that make sense exactly yes and sometimes and I'm interviewing you as an interview host your show is based around interviews as is mine so we understand the the complexities over over that 
just for the simple fact that, A, we have to, to schedule something that's cohesive for both people, B, we have to make them feel comfortable, C, we have to feel comfortable and do a lot of research. There's a lot, as you mentioned, that, that goes into making a podcast, which is research and coming up with the right questions and making sure that the interview goes smoothly or as smoothly as possible. Mm-hmm. There right. there are some instances where I've been biting my nails because <laughs> the interview questions are, are short and I don't know where to really go with it, whereas right. people listening might not think that, but I hang up the phone or, you know, end the show and I'm confused and <laughs> and <laughs> right. my final like, thought oh is like – it. it is is this worth it? You know, and it, mm-hmm. ultimately it is, but sometimes it's just it's frustrating because you don't really know. You're not on the other side listening. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like so, being an actor and doing a play. I've been in many plays, and you know, we'll go backstage after it's over, and we'll, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I dropped that line or this and that. But nine times out of ten, the audience has no idea that it happened. You know, so it's just, you know, our own, from our own perspective, we can sometimes see those things and feel those things. But at the end of the day, the people are there to listen and they want to enjoy it. So they're not really noticing the same same things that we would notice, (laughs) fortunately. (laughs) Right. We're our biggest critics. That's what I always Mm -hmm. say. Always. (laughs) So on the flip side, how has podcasting improved or changed your life for the better? Well, I think the main thing that's happened is I feel super lucky to be able to spend 45 minutes with someone in my community that I get to know better, that I may not have known. I mean, we there's a lot of things about the desert. There's a lot of activity here. I think people think that it's a quiet place where everybody isolates themselves and nobody talks, but and you can totally do that and The opposite end of the spectrum is on some nights there's three things that I want to go and do, and I have to kind of either split the difference and maybe spend time at both or just pick one or something. But what usually happens is is we're kind of out there and we see somebody that we quote-unquote know and say, hey, how are you doing? How's that project going? Oh, great. All right, we'll see you next time. And that's as deep as it goes. And the conversation that I get to have goes much deeper, you know, talking about what brought them here and what their life is like here and what they appreciate about living here. Or if they've lived here a long time, tell me, you know, what it was like here 25 years ago. And those, sometimes those are the podcasts that get the most response. So I think the thing, the biggest thing for me is a deeper knowing of the women in my community and with that said, I often run into people who listen and they're, they'll say something like, you know, I know her, but I didn't know that about her. So not only am I deepening, I feel like, my own relationship with my community, but in the community in general, they're also getting the same benefits. I completely get that. It's it's very nice to have a connection with your community, especially being a newcomer also. It's nice that mm-hmm. that your 
connecting people and yourself. You're including, you know, including right. yourself and getting a, a better, I guess, knowledge of, of the people who live around you. Exactly. And I think that's important, especially in the times we're living in right now. I mean, you may see someone and, you know, observe how they interact, say, on social media, but then if you sit down and actually talk with them, you might get a deeper understanding of why they responded to someone about something in the way that they did. You know, you get to hear their background and experience and what brought them to this point in their lives, and you can go, oh, now I get it, that sort of thing. So I think that's the the biggest thing for me. And, And this interviewing business. I don't know that it's ever something I would have considered or thought about before, but it's been an interesting experience, and I feel like I've grown as an interviewer from the very beginning. You know, I had a list of questions that I would go by, and now it's just really the first two questions of each podcast kick off the conversation, and the rest of it is kind of, you know, free form. Maybe I'll pick up on a couple things in their bio to go deeper on, but I feel like the listening skills, are really developed in doing something like this because you start to really be present with this person and hear what they're saying and maybe they'll respond to something and you're like, ooh, tell me more about that or, you know, let's dig into that a little bit more. Why was that, you know, and in a way kind of anticipating what someone listening, like you said earlier, might be saying, ask for this, you know. Even though they're not in the room, <laughs> and I hope I'm I hope I'm doing that, you know, for people that are thinking, "Wow, I wish you would ask her such and so." I hope I'm, you know, meeting those expectations. But definitely, that has changed too, from the very beginning episodes to the episodes that I, you know, most recent ones. Has there been a really surprising moment that you didn't expect to happen? During your interviews, did someone, you know, give this revelation that was just so mind-blowing that you walked away from the interview just baffled or mind-blown? Or <laughs> I mean, I'm uh, sure there well, are a lot, but... Yeah, and, and in different ways. Some of them maybe spiritually, some of them maybe just learning about someone's background. I had an interview here with my friend Lisa Ray Black, who's a guitar player, and she's played, I didn't realize this, but I've heard it, but she played with a lot of, you know, really cool bands when she lived in L.A., and I was like, oh, that's cool. So she came, and we were talking, and she actually fronts two bands that I really love here. One is called Hammer of the Oz, and it's like a Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin kind of tribute band. And they do some original work as well. And then the other one is the LPs, and it's like soul and funk and all that kind of stuff, which I also love. So we're sitting here at the table, and she's telling me about growing up in West Covina, how she got started playing the guitar, and that she had this guy that would drive her to school. And he was, and I'm not going to get this right, it was one or the other. He was the drummer in the local I want to say surf band, and then there was another guy that was in another opposite kind of band. And she goes, eventually they got together and blah, 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 and it turns out that it was Tommy Lee that was driving her back and forth to school (laughs) from Motley Crue. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Because I grew up, you know, in the 80s, that heavy metal was the soundtrack of my life. And I can't tell you how many times I saw Motley Crue. And then you go into that whole six degrees of separation. Here's this guy playing on stage that drove a girl to school 
high school, you know, every day that eventually you're going to meet and interview for a podcast. I mean, that was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, so, same. I'm an 80s girl in Miley Crew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was fun a fun discovery for me. So and and for everybody else, I think a lot of people complimented that interview because they see her out playing, you know, and they just see her and they go to see her play guitar and they don't really have any conversation with her later on or afterward or anything. And then to be able to ha- hear this one-on-one conversation where she talks about how she started playing the guitar and that, you know, this is how her life was. It's like, what? <laughs> so, again, bringing the um a deeper knowledge of the people in your community to more people. And I think when you you have that deeper knowledge of people, there, it builds more understanding. I think you just have that idea of what that person's backstory was and where they came from. And, you know, whether it's something super cool like that or whether it's something tragic, it, it just gives everybody a deeper, I don't know, empathy and understanding of each other. And I think that's important. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah. That that is an interesting story. I'll have to go back and listen you to that. You have to one. look for that episode, yeah. <laughs> I plan on it. That's one of the first things I'm going to do after we're done with oh, this. Oh good. Because <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, think you'll enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Here. So <laughs> <laughs> moving ahead, in the podcasting community, has there been any resources or, or people in particular that have really helped you with uh, your podcast or with giving you tips or guidelines? Well, the community that's online, Facebook, that I found a couple of, like a year or two ago, actually probably at least two years ago, was the uh, Podcast Movement Facebook group. They are the folks that have a annual conference each year, and I actually went to the conference that was in Philadelphia, and that that was really great. I met a lot of great people there that I'm still in contact with, And there was just a lot of really good information for somebody like me who at that point was, I don't know, I think I was at maybe around episode 70 somewhere. I don't think I had gotten to 80 yet. And then I happened to sit down at a table with someone the first day who was kind of in the same space doing a weekly interview show at about the same uh, number of episodes that I was. So we kind of bonded. And it was just a great experience, although it's difficult, you know, it's kind of like, people in, you know, certain people in radio, they get into radio because they like to be in that little booth by themselves. They don't necessarily, you know, are out with a big crowd or anything like that. So the networking is a little difficult because a lot of us are introverts. (laughs) You know, we just don't do that thing. So that was an interesting observation I made at the conference. But it, um, being just being in the Facebook group and watching the questions that are asked and maybe following a thread because I'm interested in, you know, what some of the responses are going to be or what some of the recommendations might be. I think that has really been the greatest resource. When I started, you know, going down the path of, oh, I'm going to do a podcast, I picked up some books from the library because I'm a library person. And while that probably wasn't the best thing because a lot of the material was dated, but essentially the most dated stuff was the technology. And what was really helpful was, you know, the interviewing and, you know, setting up your schedule and just those kind of logistical things were really helpful to learn about. And I think the most helpful thing, which it sounds like you do, is this block interviewing where you just, I mean, I have some days where I'll have four interviews at my kitchen table in one day, but it's such a relief to know that you've got that material 
All you need to do is edit it to put it out. So that was a really valuable tip. So I can't remember what the books were that I read, and then I also downloaded a book maybe on Kindle, a short book that I read to just get started. And I think I had an advantage over most people who may be looking to start a podcast if you don't have that technical experience with the digital interface to record in, that's probably the biggest hump to get over is just learning how to do that. I had that because I already use it in my voiceover work. But otherwise, everything is pretty straightforward and, you know, there's plenty of resources out there and podcasts about podcasts where they get into those technical things that you can learn. And I feel like it's a very open and giving kind of community where you can just reach out to somebody and say, hey, I saw you talk about this. Can we talk about it a little deeper and, you know, that sort of thing. So, but the biggest resource was that podcast movement community on Facebook. A lot of the the Facebook groups have mentorships now, which I I find interesting and something Mm. that, you know, that is worth looking into also because, people that are relatively new or newer, even if you're still working on your hundredth episode, there might be someone mm-hmm. with so much more experience behind them, whether they were on a, another podcast before or they've been, you know, they just have sound engineering experience or mm-hmm. they, you know, editing experience or, or anything for that matter. I, right. I think that's a, a good uh, outlet too. So, yeah. Um, so what advice would you give to someone who wants to start a podcast? It's easier than you think. <laughs> it's easier than you think. So get started and figure out what you want to do and how you want to do it and, and just start doing it, whether it's, you know, offering information that you have weekly or biweekly on your own without bringing in an interview, or if you have an interesting niche that you do that you can find people to bring on an interview and talk about it. I think just getting started, don't let the technology stop you. A lot of people use a lot of free programs online, like I think Audacity is one of those free ones you can use. And, of course, YouTube is full of tutorials of all kinds that you can go through to learn it. So I think just getting started, just putting that, taking those first couple of steps is the hardest thing and recognizing the time commitment because I think one of the most important things is once you get your podcast going and you get some listeners, there is an expectation there that there will be a next episode and a next episode and a next episode, and you need to be prepared to deliver because once you drop the ball from a consistency perspective, it's harder to get people to come back. And initially when I started, I think I had four or five episodes already in the can before I even said, go out and listen to this episode. I didn't just put one up and say, oh, I'm starting a podcast. That was one of the things that came out of that, you know, dated library material was the consistency is very important. And you have to realize when to step away also and take a break and enjoy yourself because it is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, sometimes that block interviewing can really help that because you can do a lot of interviews up front. You can edit everything. There's so much you can do ahead of time, even if you send like a newsletter to your listenership, you can do those and schedule them out. There are a lot of tools that can help you 
do that. And like at this time of the year too, people are running around, going to parties, they're doing their Christmas shopping, whatever it is they're doing at the end of the year. I typically just put out an episode like the second week of November, uh, December, and then I go away until like the first or second week of January. And I let them know that. And then I still do Throwback Thursday. I still put those episodes out on social media. So it's not a complete like deadline, dead air sort of situation. <laughs> right. It's not like lights out and then you lose half of your audience and then <laughs> you're saying, wait, hold on. I'm really here. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So you need to have a little bit of, of, uh, even if the light is dim, so to speak, you, ju- you mm-hmm. need a little flicker to say, yeah. oh, wait, I'm still here, you know. Right. Don't forget, <laughs> I'll this. be back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what podcasts do you listen to regularly if you have the time to? Uh, there's actually two. One of them is called Copy Chatter. It's a woman named Ashley Gaynor, and she talks a lot about uh, writing and how to write for blogs and things like that. And that's something that I'm kind of looking into moving into, different kind of writing, not just for me, for blogs. But she does it. It's a lot of copywriting, but she talks a lot about different aspects of being in that business and being a writer. And the other one is the Her Money podcast, which is hosted by Jean Chatsky, who was a longtime financial um, contributor to the Today Show on NBC. So I like listening to that and seeing, you know, what kind of ideas and advice you can get about your money as a woman. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, there are not too many places to that offer that. You know, Mm-mm. some of our basic uh, financial podcasts, or but to have one specifically for women and understanding right. the, the demographic, that's that's good to know also. So Right, and they talk about more than investing. They talk about, you know, how to negotiate um, a better salary, and they've talked about cryptocurrency, which is kind of a mystery to some people. So they cover a lot of different topics also. Yes, cryptocurrency is – I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I might have to listen to that. I'm, I'm completely clueless about the Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency and, and all of that. Yes, right. I, I guess yeah. I'm aging myself there too. But <laughs> Well, I don't think you're the only one. Someone, someone uh, that I'm friends with is in the business of that and was explaining it to me, and I'm like, this just does not sound right to me. <laughs> Something is, you know, I know you're out, it's outside the box, so it's outside everyone's comfort zone, but when I hear something about the rates change all the time and I think, well, if I'm paid at a place, let's just say they're paying me $500 a week, but when they deposit the money, it could be 450 or it could be 550 that doesn't feel right to me. I want, you know, whatever they're supposed to be paying me, I think I should be getting regardless of that. So we were exactly. kind of getting into a conversation about that, yeah. So, And I may not be, I mean, I'm not fluent in cryptocurrency, so I don't want anybody, you know, writing into the show saying, she doesn't know what she's talking about, because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to get, like, one of those responses from someone saying, okay, Boomer, when... A, I'm clearly not in right. that, that yes. in, in that age group. Right. Yeah, I'm exactly. Just, yeah. 
<laughs> I'm just a confused Gen Xer. That's all. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, in closing, how can people find your podcast on social media and listen to it or connect with you? Okay, so the podcast is called Desert Lady Diaries. The website is desertladydiaries.com, and that's also the same handle on Instagram and Facebook, but Twitter was a little um, shorter, so I had to be Desert Lady Diary, the singular, or send an email to desertladydiaries at gmail.com. Well, I encourage everyone to listen to it, even if you don't live in the Mojave Desert there are clearly women that are very interesting and they may be from your area too. You never know. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. They may have migrated here. They definitely migrate here from other places. So as far away as Norway and London to, you know, as close as Los Angeles. So, yeah. So, Don, before we end the conversation, do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to share who are just discovering yours or people who are regular listeners who wanted to find out more? Well, I just appreciate so much the people who are listening, whether it's been to one episode or all of them, and I appreciate all of the women who have taken the time to come on to be interviewed and, you know, maybe revealed some things about themselves that they didn't expect to, you know, let out of the bag. And if you're someone listening who is thinking about doing a podcast, I would encourage you to just get started. You know, find somewhere online, contact me, contact Sherry. We're happy to answer any questions about how you can get started in doing this. And what I would say also is don't immediately think you're going to get into it for the money. Most people who make money podcasting have partnered it with a product or service that they offer. That's how they're making money. They're talking about their product or service and getting clients to pay for it. Something like mine, and I don't know about your share, I don't want to speak for you, but I operate on, I have a Patreon website that's up that I have listeners who get a, uh, exclusive content for, from each episode for a specific donation every month. And I also have one-time uh, support donations through PayPal but if you have a product or service that you can pair with it, then you, you know, could say, oh, I'm monetizing. But otherwise, really, you just have to love what you're doing and love the people that you're doing it with. Yeah, for me personally, I fund my podcast. I haven't put up a Patreon or asked for a donation yet. So, and maybe mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah. But it, right. it's all I mean, me, it's always so. something that can happen later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Because that's how I started. It's all I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't start Patreon until January of this year. So um, it's only been a year so far. But, you know, it helps to defray the cost because there are costs involved if you're listening. And, you know, there are some places where you can put up your podcast for free. But there's also, you know, putting up your website. If you need to put it on SoundCloud for any reason, you'll need a premium membership on there. And then depending on what podcast host you decide to use, there will be a uh, fee for that as well. So there are costs and your time. You have to think about your time. Yes, exactly. 
exactly. Well, Dawn, mm-hmm. I appreciate that you called in to speak with us about uh, Desert Lady Diaries. I love the podcast. I'll continue to listen. I'll definitely look for that list, that episode that you were mentioning before. Oh, and, Lisa uh, Ray Black. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will look for that episode. It's a lot shortly. of fun. <laughs> so uh, thank you again so much for, for being on your podcast, Armine. I re- really appreciate your time. I appreciate you having me on, and I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing. It's important for people to hear. (laughs) Thanks again, and thanks to everyone listening to your podcast, or mine. We'll chat soon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.